Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Rangeley Capital Podcast. I'm Chris Demuth, a PM at Rangeley. With me as always is my co-host and fellow Rangeley PM, Andrew Walker. It is Thursday, February 23rd, 2017. Today's topic is bad ideas. Uh, we start with a plan uh, that was discovered earlier this month to bomb Target stores in order to create buying opportunities in Target stock. And then we move to bad ideas that can result from a zero interest rate environment. Uh, but first, the bombing. Uh, the planner described uh, his idea as easy money to his accomplice, who turned out to be a confidential informant. Uh, he was going to plant bombs uh, in stores which would explode create negative press, drive the stock down to create a buying opportunity for him to subsequently buy the shares, which I think is giving the plan all the credit it deserves. Andrew, what's wrong with this plan? Well, you know, there's the immoralness, the illegality of it. Uh, we're going to ignore those for a while, but those are certainly things that are wrong. Uh, there's a lot wrong with this plan, but, you know, one of the things is, look, if you're going to do something to drive someone's stock price down, don't wait and then go buy them. There's this thing called short selling. Go short sell the company. Forget short selling. Go buy short-term puts on the company. Bet their stock's going to go down. Profit on the way down. Then turn it around and buy it once it's lower and uh, make your money. So just F for execution, F for legality, F for morality. Fails on all accounts. I would also add that besides the fact that clearly they should have shorted the stock on the way in, they should have done something more conniving to make Target look responsible. Because even in their plan, oh, great Target point. was just the victim. If anything, the next day, I'm going to my Target as an act of solidarity because they were victimized uh, as opposed to something nefarious that would make them look evil. Yeah. So in terms of the plan, uh, the Target... To- this is not legal advice or no. even advice in general. Yeah, this but is, this yeah is. you got to go find like the Target store branded stuff and you got to put poison in them or exactly. something. So if Target needs to do a, a big recall and like maybe do it with babies because people don't like it when you mess with babies. Target recalls poison baby food. That seems like a negative headline that will drive Target bad, start. bad, bad press. But as it is, they're insured clearly. Uh, and uh, so it's not clear that this was done uh, at all uh, uh, properly. I would say in terms of bad ideas and i have you know certainly uh uh, invested in bad ideas in the past um but whenever the disclosure if you're the number two guy in the plan comes with this and this is a quote don't let the boxes bounce around or they will explode (laughs) i think when you're told that something is making some easy money i just don't think those two points are consistent (laughs) easy money and risk some explosion yeah you know uh and this is eerily similar to many, many finance uh, movie plots. Like, uh, as soon as I read the plot, I was thinking it was a taking of Pelham 123, which starred Denzel Washington and John Travolta mm-hmm. back in 2009. And John Travolta uh, hijacks a subway and demands ransom for the city. But it comes out that the big reason he did it was he shorted the stock market and he bought gold. And he's going to make 300. He ended up making like 300 million on this short on this short long trade when the market panicked, which I think is overestimating how much the market would panic if one subway was taken hostage. But uh, yeah, look, I, I just, I, 
I think you need something a little more creative and a little more headline grabbing if you're going to make this work. I think so. That what's wrong with this plan? It's kind of like a Where's Waldo picture made up of nothing but Waldos. Um, if I was going to give him some advice for next time, uh, he's not good at avoiding capture. He's a repeat offender. He's not good at making friends. His first guy he came to was the confidential informant. He's not good at trading stocks. And incidentally, I should add, he's not good at making bombs. Of his 12 bombs, two of them were duds. So this was not uh, a very good one. Um, Was he even set up to trade properly? You know, I was thinking that what would target have declined? Probably, say, 5%. He was already spending $10,000 to pay the confidential informant, another almost $300 of spending money. He would have needed over $200,000, assuming he just did this with straight equity, uh, with the assumption that buying near-term puts would have been too much of a red flag, uh, just to recoup his bomb delivery expenses. It's not clear. You know, this person, having been a habitual offender, I think it would be pretty hard. I don't know what his personal finances were like, but it's not even clear that he was structured properly for this trade. A great point. And then when you take into account, he clearly wasn't taking into account the risk of getting captured, which, mm-hmm. you know, it, it takes a lot of money to uh, offset the risk of going to jail for the rest of your life on terrorist charges. But, you know, you take into account how much time it's going to take to make the bomb, set this plot up and execute. You know, he was doing this for less than minimum wage, I would say, and that doesn't factor in the risk. Just poor plan on his part. Absolutely. The only thing, I just want to just take the other side for a moment here, because I think we've had a lot negative to say about this plan, which might be appropriate. It's, it's hard not to have a lot of negative to say, I, but I, go ahead. I just want to uh, def- defend this for a second by saying that he was desperate and he personally had less to lose than uh, I'd like to think you or I or even just an average person would have. So he went with a high volatility strategy. Yep. He didn't have, I don't think he could take his resume to most uh, jobs and get a, a salaried position. So the idea of going with a high vol strategy uh, makes some sense. And, and you know, look, it, it, an increasing uh, part of the market is doing things um not illegal things, but doing deeper work to either uncover value or uncover fraud. You know, mm-hmm. a big part of the market now is these really interesting activist short theses where they go, they find fraud, and then they scream it from the rooftops until someone shuts it down. You know, Bill Ackman with Herbalife is not maybe not the most successful example of it, but a very high-profile example. Uh, all the people with Enron who were doing all the forensic accounting and saying, this is a fraud, SEC needs to investigate, don't lend money to them. Uh, all of those sorts of things are activist things. You're seeing people going, uh, I'm seeing a lot of smaller companies where uh, bigger people will go buy the stock and then they'll look to promote their products to increase the equity price and serve as an activist in that extent. So to some extent, he was kind of on the forefront of activist shorting, activist long, creating your own catalyst, creating your own value, just probably in the wrong way. No, absolutely. I think the idea of creating your own walk in a relatively efficient market where you are participatory in investment I think that's a great aspect of this. And we've talked a lot on this podcast about celebrities and how celebrities are using their wealth and their status to take equity from companies that they're going to promote and then using their promotion to drive that equity value Mm -hmm. higher. So I I think it's absolutely a great piece of the world and a great – I, I don't know. He was clearly wrong, but I can kind of see the, the threads looping them together. And, and I should say, I, I am sympathetic to the idea of easy money. I think where do you find it? Um, I think that you find it typically where there's some related 
problem and what would a problem be? So the advantage is easy money. It's it's going to be generally where there's some barrier where the scale or convenience yes. or the ability yes. to analyze it so that, yes, you're getting easy money, but there's a caveat that makes it l- less likely to be in the too good to be true uh, category. And then one easy money category that I think people should really uh, wake up to is just based on the pre-existing relationship. Um, I'm not a friend of any of the Snapchat founders. If they want to make friends uh, in the next few days, I am available for I'm going to warn them not to make friends because I know how much you like Miranda Kerr. They should not be making friends with you. You're a dangerous friend to have in this case. I would make friends with anybody in that relationship. And if they then offer me the substantial amount of friends and family, I would even become fa- I would become a friend or family mm-hmm. of any of the founders. I would then take Snapchat IPO uh, equity uh, for friends and family. I think that that is easy money, but it's simply the easiness is to act on the fact that you're in the right place at the right time because of the pre The easiness is exactly the easiness is acting and monetizing your insider status and your insider stake. Uh, look, this is this is literally equity that is being taken from Evan Spiegel, the founder of uh, – it's value that he's created that mm-hmm. he is distributing amongst his friends and family. So the easiness is monetizing that relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then just two last things I was going to take off. Uh, make sure when something's presented as easy money that you're not simply selling insurance on the cheap – for events with massive downside, like going to jail or something like that, where if you are the seller of that insurance, it can look like a sure thing for some period of time, even if you're doing something probabilistically that's terrible. Um, And then last but not least, if an investment idea comes with a license plate cover that is designed to avoid being ID'd, really think twice before you commit because that was one of the caveats in this one. Well, look, both of those things, A, uh, the easy money thing where you might be doing something probabilistically terrible, it makes me think a little bit of our conversation yesterday with the Catalyst Fund, which had outperformed the S&P 500 for 10 years – for a 10-year record very strongly, but it might have been they were doing it because they were taking on one big existential risk that just hadn't played out over that time frame. Exactly. And, you know, I think the other thing is easy money things. It's very easy to lure people in with easy money things, but many times an easy money offer is a fraudulent offer. It's a Ponzi scheme. It's a pyramid scheme. It's something that is going to separate you from your money because the unfortunate thing is there is no, there is no real easy money. It's you might have monetized a relationship or you might have done a lot of hard work to get that money, but there's just generally not easy money in life, unfortunately. Excellent point to end that first half of our segment. And our second, somewhat foreshortened because that was a fun one, uh, continuing on the theme of bad ideas, uh, one cause of bad ideas is easy money from the credit market or zero interest rate environment. Interest rates are extremely low by historical standards and they can cause people to do funny things. Um, I was just watching a recording, a lot of my friends and family, my friends and family, less good than Evan Spiegel's friends and family, uh, or less good to be them. I was about to say, whoa, way to call out your friends and family. (laughs) They are less lucky to be my friend or my family than his. Let me make that very clear. I feel very lucky to be your friend, Chris. (laughs) Thank you, Andrew. and uh, uh, and vice versa. But I would say that some of them were listening to Charlie Munger speak at the Daily Journal annual meeting. And he mentioned that Berkshire bought ExxonMobil, which is a fine thing to do, I'm sure. But the way he described it, he literally said that this was bought as a cash substitute. 
Um, maybe the bet plays off, but it was unclear uh, that he meant by that what he should or what, what I would mean right. by it. Um, and uh, it's an interesting topic, but to me, but what is a cash substitute? And Andrew, is there anything clever to do in terms <laughs> of a real cash substitute in this zero-ish interest rate environment? So look, Charlie, I, I think Charlie Munger was at his meeting and being a little bit flippant when he said this. I have the feeling he did, they did not buy this purely as a cash substitute. Look, one of the things leading up to the crisis that a lot of companies got in trouble with was they had a lot of excess cash and they said, mm-hmm. hey, we want to be safe. We, we want to be safe. We want to be prepared for a downturn, but we want a little extra interest. And they took that cash and instead of investing in treasuries, they invested in mortgage-backed securities or auction rate preferred securities that would give them just a little bit extra yield. And then the downturn hit and all of those things froze. And a lot of companies, a lot of municipalities, they were kind of going bankrupt or on the verge of bankruptcy because what they thought was a cash substitute gave them a little extra interest, but it turned out as soon as liquidity dried up, it was worthless. Buffett was one of the people who did not do this, who kept all of his excess cash in treasuries, and that gave him the liquidity to be kind of the provider of first resort to companies that needed liquidity and were on the verge of bankruptcy during the crisis, and that ended up in him doing a lot of good deals. I don't think they've forgotten the lesson from that by investing cash in ExxonMobil stock, which could very easily go down 30, 40, 50% in a big downturn or a big oil downturn. I think he was being flippant, but I can understand what he was saying. Uh, but th- that would just be my comment on that. No, I think that that's very fair and a valid point. Um, there was a, a supermodel who once said that she never got out of bed for less than $10,000. And I think this was somewhat criticized as being a fairly, uh, uh, perhaps snobbish comment to make, but I always, I loved it at the time. I still love it today, and I always use it to think. You know, you don't want to really get out of bed for less than a probabilistic big advantage once the topic comes up of taking risk. You either want to be an extremist in avoiding risk or having a really good lucrative reason mm-hmm. to move off of that pole and to be not captivated by these tiny, tiny, tiny different little yield advantages where you're taking really paying uh, in terms of the risk that you're taking. Um, one uh, one move that I thought I'd mentioned that I thought was amusing and interesting is that Swedes right now are making a move in this zero interest rate environment by massively overpaying their taxes. Uh, Swedish interest rates are currently about negative uh, 50 bips. Uh, tax accounts that they can pay into to the uh, to the Central uh, General Reserve uh, of Sweden uh, pays 0.56%, 56 bips. Uh, so citizens can can uh, overpay and then they can pull back excess. So the government now is having this huge trouble because they can't manage their tax balance, cash balances because they don't know how much is going to stay. Yeah, look, and this is example of poor, poorly designed government regulation, right? Mm-hmm. When you offer something at a fixed rate, uh, they offered something at a fixed rate, and they don't really have a great way to change it. It would be kind of like saying, "Hey, we're going to we're going to increase the pay of all of our employees by two percent per year because that's what inflation averages." That sounds great, but you get into trouble if inflation runs six percent. You have all of these unhappy employees. Or if inflation runs negative 2%, you're giving your employees massive raises, and over time that really adds up. Here the government did something kind of as a courtesy, probably to get a little political favor from people who might have been paying a little bit too much or had some uncertainty in their taxes. Didn't matter when interest rates were 3 4 5%, but now it matters. It's an example of poor policy. You need to tie that rate to the interest rates in some way. Absolutely. Now, we only have a little bit of time left, but I was wondering if you have any thoughts or I have a couple I could um, mention uh, briefly on quirky uh, cash substitutes, things that people can do and 
funds or PA uh, ideas for what to do with excess cash? Uh, you know, I, I think excess cash, opening up bank account, opening up bank accounts, and taking advantage of the hey, if you deposit a thousand dollars in this bank, we'll give you an extra fifty dollars and that sort of stuff. I think that can be good on small scales, but again, that that does demand a lot of time, a lot of attention to doing it. Uh, you know, I think the best thing to do if you don't have anything great for your cash is just to leave it in a bank account and wait for a rainy day. I think that's so good. I will leave that as the last word. Uh, thank you for your thoughts on our topics today. Yeah, thanks that's for hosting. All the time that we have today. Uh, before we hit our disclosures, having already offered our disclaimers, uh, a reminder, uh, if you have any feedback for us, please feel free to email it to us at podcast at rangelycapital.com. Other than if your feedback is that you don't like listening to podcasts, because we do get that sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, just given the email address, which I'll give again once, is podcast at rangelycapital.com. This is just not a high odds email address to send the complaint that you don't like podcasts. I liked what you were saying where you were like, it would be like if I walked down the street and just kicked the door down to every shop and said, hey, you're selling women's shoes and I do not want women's shoes today. Well, I don't want women's shoes any day for the most part, but that's what these people are doing. Like, we've set up a podcast. You don't have to listen to it. We're certainly not getting paid for it. If you have any other comments to make other than a dislike of podcasts, then please email it to that address. If you just don't like podcasts, email it to any other address other than that one uh, to your friends and family. We, we, we've discussed our friends and family. We've discussed even Spiegel's friends and family. You have your own. Let them know of your dislike of podcasts. And with that, I will call it a day. Uh, dis- disclosure. Oh, says- disclosures. I'm sorry. I'm a host. I should say I have to disclose that I have invested in Berkshire Hathaway. Uh, I have to disclose I am long some American cash since we talked about it, but unfortunately not a lot of it. We'll uh, get more over time. All right. Talk to you guys soon. Bye.